You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Amen, amen, amen. Take your Bibles, please, and go to Ephesians chapter 4. It's always a blessing to be here, and uh, since I have been here uh, last time, <clears throat> I would like to say thank you to Fellowship Baptist Church. Um, many of you prayed uh, for us to um, get into our new home where we are over in Rives Junction, and uh, we are there, and I would like to thank you for now for the six and a half hours that I have to cut lawn. Amen. Out there in Rives. I'd like to thank you for Brother Corser sneaking over at night and stealing all our fish. Amen. I'd like to thank you for those things. And I really mean that with all my heart. Thank you so much. I cannot tell you uh, what a blessing it is. Uh, Brother Mike, you've been out there. Amen. Um, how blessed we truly are to have a piece of property where our kids can run um, carefree. Um, where you don't have to keep your eye on them every second of the time, uh, like you do in some areas. Um, we're just so blessed, so, so blessed. We're always blessed each time we come back here. Uh, one of our members said, you know, Pastor, we were thinking about going to fellowship tonight. Uh, it's just a couple miles from our house and said, you watch your language. Get back to Loomis where you belong. Amen. And, uh, but I thank the Lord for you, precious friends that we've made through the years uh, where we've been here. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I said this morning, as a matter of fact, I uh, was just telling the church I would be away tonight. And uh, Pastor White has filled the pulpit for me when I've been away. And I said, it's so wonderful to have a sister church where you just feel right at home whether you're here or there, amen? Whether, you know, we do things like uh, hymn fest and you come up and, and you have conferences, you have revival meetings, we have missions conference and where we can come and enjoy the fellowship of one with another. Uh, there's no jealousy between the preachers, anything like that. We just love each other and uh, love you precious people. Ephesians chapter four, would you stand with me? And uh, I like to read a lot of scripture. And uh, by the way, I preached on this on Wednesday nights for a year. And so you're getting a year's worth of sermons tonight. We should leave about midnight, somewhere around there. Amen. Uh, no, really, I want to. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna set it all up and come to the bottom half of the chapter. And I want to preach you something I believe can be very practical for us. I do want to say also, it's good to see Pastor Peterson back there. Uh, what a blessing! Um, Ninety-five years old and in church on Sunday night. I'm telling you what, I, if I ever see 95, that'll be a miracle. But if I do, I'll be eating applesauce, I'm sure, somewhere. Amen. But Pastor, thank you for you and, and your many, many decades of faithfulness. And of course, it goes without saying, I appreciate your preacher so very much. He's my friend and uh, love his family. Glad they're able to get away for such time as this. And I'm glad that while the cat's away, the mice didn't play tonight. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, begin reading in verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter tonight. Great, great chapter of the Word of God. The focus of it is on unity, true unity, not kumbaya unity, not, not unanimity, unity, biblical unity. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Boy, you ought to mark that. Endeavoring to keep the what? Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And here we're about to see the unity. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. That's unity of doctrine right there. Very important. All that we do is based on what we believe. You have the unity of doctrine there. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, he that ascended up on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but he that also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets 
and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You know what, according to that verse, your pastor is a gift from God for you? Now, it's hard for a pastor to say, I could say it here because I'm not in my pulpit. I walk around saying, I'm God's gift to you. <laughs> Amen? But biblically, it's true. It's true. The evangelist that comes, he's a gift. Gift to the church. For what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Brother Corsair, I think almost any time somebody at Loomis tells me, you know, I was watching the TBN the other day. I say, stop. Just don't watch that. Don't watch the religious broadcasting. Too many. Cunning craftiness. Slight of men. What does it say? But speaking the truth in love. May grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Love this verse, verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. So here's the, the hinge of the chapter. We've gone from unity, edifying, to how we ought to walk and things we ought to avoid. Never forget, the Christians at Ephesus had been saved out of wickedness. And so he says, look, you're not to walk as other Gentiles walk, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him. And been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation. The old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That ye may put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let me just say this ladies and gentlemen again. Just by way of introduction. You can tell. And listen, you can't, you can't always tell, I always say this, 11 of the apostles thought Judas was one of them, okay? But you can tell very easily whether a person is a professing Christian or a possessing Christian in their attitude toward sin. There is a whole uh, professing Christianity that says, oh, sin, no big deal, do what you want, live the lifestyle you want. And then there's Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12, which says, The grace of God hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Here, Paul says the same. He says, look, we're to put off that conversation, the old man. The, the deeds of the old man, stop doing those things. You're not that man anymore. Put on the new man. Verse 25, wherefore... Putting away lying, that's the old man. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, that's the new man. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, that's the old man. Neither give place to the devil, that's the old man. Let him that steal, stole, that's the old man. Steal no more, that's the new man. But rather let him labor, new man, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, old man. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, new man. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, old man. 
whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Here's a whole lot of old man right here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Here's our text. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege to be in church tonight, to be in a good, independent, fundamental Baptist church tonight. Thank you for this body of believers that's here. Thank you for their pastor and his family. We pray your blessing of refreshment upon them. Pray that you'd use your word tonight to speak to our hearts, to draw us closer to yourself, to conform us into your image. Lord, may we seek to obey your truths tonight. Lord, we'll be careful to praise you. If there's one here tonight that knows you not as their own personal Savior, I pray that tonight would be the night of salvation. Thank you for all that you give now. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, thank you so much for standing for so long. I know I could say this about Loomis Park Baptist Church and Fellowship Baptist Church as well. We are unapologetically an old-fashioned, independent, fundamental Baptist church. That's what we are. We don't apologize for that, but rather I'm honored to wear that badge and to stand where my brothers and forefathers stood. The name tells people who we are and what we stand for right from the get-go. Forgive me, I get a little tired, ladies and gentlemen, of churches taking the name Baptist off. Because inevitably, Brother Craig, then they take off the name church. And it's just some sort of name. We're not Loomis. We're not Loomis Park. That's downtown. We're Loomis Park Baptist Church. Here, you're a fellowship Baptist church. You're not just fellowship. You're fellowship Baptist church. Amen. Fundamentalism, as we know it, has its roots squarely in the scriptures. However, it also was a rebuttal of the hotbed of liberal thought which was translating into liberal theology in the early 20th century. So many isms to name. There was uh, theological liberalism. There was uh, higher criticism which basically shreds the word of God. It was uh, Darwinism and Romanism and socialism and atheism and spiritualism and eddyism, which is what we call Christian science, which is neither Christian nor scientific. And there was Russellism, uh, also known as Millennial Dawn. We know it today as Jehovah's Witnesses. By the way, let me just say this. Bad thought equals bad theology, which equals bad action. Impure thought, impure theology, impure action. Liberal thought, liberal theology, liberal action. God moved in the heart of two men, unnamed laymen. Later on, they were found to be Lyman and Milton Stewart. Lyman Stewart was the co-founder of Union Oil. To fund a 12-volume set of 90 essays to defend biblical fundamental Christianity and draw a line in the sand that fundamental Christians and churches cannot compromise on. It is called the fundamentals. The fundamentals, a testimony of truth. If you do not have that, I would recommend you get it. I think nowadays you can probably get it on uh, Logos um, for probably pennies on the dollar. But some of the topics <clears throat> included are the virgin birth of Christ, the personality and deity of the Holy Spirit, justification by faith, the certainty and importance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, sin and judgment to come, <clears throat> the atonement, the testimony of the scriptures to themselves, salvation by grace, the biblical conception of sin, the coming of Christ, and 80 others. Charles Feinberg, theologian, said the purpose of the fundamentals was to unite those who stood squarely on the fundamentals of the faith and to make a powerful statement of faith uh, in the face of inroads of liberalism. How's that saying go? The more things change, the more they stay the same. 
In the 21st century, there is a new, not really, but new movement of so-called Christianity that's seeking to divide and marginalize people and churches that happily identify themselves as fundamentalists. Old-fashioned, independent, fundamental Baptist churches. Again, it's not new. It's as old as Cain, who is what we call the first modernist. When God said to bring a lamb uh, for the sacrifice, Cain brought the fruit of the ground. He brought what he thought would be fine. Well, what we think and what God said are two different things. This new movement, it's grown out of what we call neo-evangelicalism, which seeks to take off the labels and have, quote-unquote, an authentic Christianity in non-denominational churches. It doesn't care how you dress, what Bible you use, what kind of music you like, just so long as you're saved and you're not one of those pharisaical fundies. Some of you that are newly saved or new to this church may say, Pastor, I had no idea of any of this. That's all right. Let me introduce some terms. First of all, what is a fundamental tonight? What is a fundamental? Well, a fundamental is just that. It's an essential. It's something we cannot do without. Uh, there are some fundamentals and non-fundamentals in our body. When I think of a non-fundamental, I have met people who cannot hear, and yet they live. Correct? Some of you have had the misfortune to have your appendix taken out. Okay? That is not a fundamental. There is no one here that, as far as I could tell, is a living heart donor. A heart is a fundamental. In your body. Your liver is a fundamental. Your brain is a fundamental. Your lungs are a fundamental. You cannot get along without them. You think about it in your home. Is your couch a fundamental? Some of you right now say, Preacher, you're getting pretty personal right about now. Amen. No, your couch isn't a fundamental. It's not. Is a load bearing wall a fundamental? Sure is, sure is, can't get along without it, amen. In your car, uh, your radio, your air conditioning is not a fundamental, but uh, the brakes are a fundamental. The engine is a fundamental. Some things are essential. What are some fundamentals to Christianity? We named some of them. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the verbal inspiration and preservation of the scriptures is a fundamental. If this Bible is not verbally inspired and does not come with the promise of preservation, then what are we doing? What are we doing? We have no idea if we don't believe that whether this is God's word or not. By the way, we do know it's God's word. It's a fundamental. I think about the deity and sinless life of Jesus Christ is a fundamental. Otherwise, there is no sin offering. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone is a fundamental. That is this, ladies and gentlemen. If you take these away from Christianity, you destroy Christianity. They're fundamentals. They're what Jude was talking about when in verse 3 of Jude he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto you. So what is a fundamental? It's an essential. What characterizes a fundamental Christian? I, I think some, some things that we could agree on here. I think a, a characterization of a fundamental Christian is where they stand against sin, evil, and compromise. Amen? Uh, you mentioned, uh, Brother Vincent mentioned that Brother Boyd preached uh, on separation. That certainly it characterizes a fundamentalist. Separation, personal and ecclesiastical. And by the way, let me tell you what separation isn't. Separation isn't just a suit or a long dress. It's unto God first and then from the world. The closer you get to God, the more you'll separate from the world. It's just a supernatural progression. I think about soul winning, uh, not only a stand against sin and separation, soul winning, trying to reach people with the gospel characterizes a, a fundamentalist Christian. But also think about, ladies and gentlemen, praise God, for scriptural preaching. 
Scriptural preaching characterizes a, a fundamental. I think of standards of creed and, and conduct characterize a, a fundamental. But I'm noticing that many who hold the fundamentals and say amen to every characterization I've just lifted are leaning towards the Phariseeism that the new evangelicals accuse us of. And that is this, ladies and gentlemen, I want to preach to you tonight a, 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 what I hope will be a helpful message on missing ingredients in fundamentalism. Have you ever had something that was missing an ingredient? Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I, uh, I think about uh, this, this old uh, routine that I heard uh, about this man who was eating fudge. Little girl next door made him fudge for his birthday, and, and he's, he's like, ooh, fudge, I like fudge. And, and uh, he gets ready to take a bite, and, and uh, he says, she says, well, mommy said I mustn't use sugar. And he gets ready to take a bite, and he's, he leans over to his friend, and uh, he says, you want a piece of fudge? And his friend says, it's not my birthday, amen, and I think that's uh, probably pretty good. Boy, fudge without sugar, not very good. Let me tell you something. A fundamentalist Christian without these ingredients that we're going to list is not that good either. And I listen, I'm a fundamentalist Christian. That is who I am. That is what I am. I am an old-fashioned independent Baptist. That's what I, and, and by the way, I'm not one of those people that could say I was Baptist born and Baptist bred and when I die I'll be Baptist. I didn't get saved until I was 23 years old. I came to become an independent Baptist by conviction as an adult. In our text, verse, if you look at verse 17 through 32, we looked at it there. The new man, that, that is the new nature of God that was given to you when you were born again of the Spirit of God. Uh, we know it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And, and God's Word tells the new man, verse 17 and 19, how not to walk. It tells us to put off the old man, verse 22. Renew our mind, verse 23. Put on the new man, verse 24. Speak truth, verse 25. Don't let anger cause you to sin, verse 26. Don't give the devil place in your life, verse 27. Don't steal, verse 28. Watch your speech, verse 29. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30. And then put away sin, verse 31. Look at verse 32, our text, in three easy points. You'll be able to spot them just like that. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I submit to you that within this magnificent verse that every Christian should memorize are three missing ingredients in fundamentalism. First of all, number one, kindness. Kindness. Look what it says there, and be ye kind one to another. By the way, let's not lose sight of the context. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. The church at Ephesus, believers. So he's telling us, not, not that it's a bad thing to be kind to the world. It certainly is a good thing. But in specific, he's saying, hey, within church, within this body, be kind one to another. Be kind one to another. The definition of kindness is a friendly attitude toward others. The state, quality, or act of being kind. It's rooted in the English word kin, which we know of as for family. The Greek word that's used is Christos. It's used seven times. It's translated kind here and in Luke 6.35. Easy, when Jesus talked about his easy yoke, Matthew 11.30. Better, Luke 5.39. Goodness, as in the goodness of God, leadeth thee to repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance, Romans 2.4. Good, uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33, as in good manners. And gracious, 1 Peter 2.3. There's a definition of kindness. There's a choice of kindness. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, every one of us has a choice whether to be kind or not. Colossians 3.12 is kind of the sister chapter to this portion in Ephesians. It tells us, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, 
humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. And I say this, it's infinitely harder to choose to be kind when you don't put away the sin of verse 31. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. I call that the snowball of sin. Oh, it snowballs and gets worse and worse and worse. Listen, there's a choice of kindness that says there to put it on like you and I would put on our suit coat or uh, put on our sweater. Put it on, that's a choice. How about the speech of kindness? The speech of kindness. Say, where's that? Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman says, she openeth her mouth, verse 26 of chapter 31 of Proverbs, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. You know, it's easy to recognize a kind person. Just listen to him talk. Just listen to him talk. Uh, I, I did a funeral uh, a couple of years back. Matter of fact, it's the man who owned the property where we live. And uh, I did his wife's funeral in 2014, and, and then in uh, 2017, uh, we did his funeral. And I was uh, listening to his boys uh, give part of the eulogy, and they said, both of them said, they said, you know, we never heard our dad say a cross word. We never heard our dad raise his voice. And then they said, now, Mom. <laughs> Listen. This idea of the speech of kindness, boy, our, what we say one to another means a lot in church. You know, there's somebody here that's hurting, and you know what they need? A kind word. They just need a kind word. They don't need a, a bruising fundamental blast, amen? They just need a kind word. Well, think about the speech of kindness and the choice of kindness and the definition of kindness. How about the example of kindness? If you can hold your place there in Ephesians, go to the little book of Titus. Take a right turn and go to the book of Titus. And look at chapter 3. You want the example of kindness? The example? The example is the way, the truth, and the life. Starts in verse 3. For we ourselves... Also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after that, the what? Kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, thank God, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The example of kindness is the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever had somebody just be kind to you? Or maybe to your children? I've told our staff repeatedly, one of the easiest ways to make a friend is to be kind to somebody's children. Just be kind to their children. Do, do a little something for them. I, I, years ago, my sons were just maybe four years old, three years old. My little boy, Eric, has always been a real vivacious uh, kid. And uh, there was a couple of, uh, couple of our almost teenagers, and they were playing uh, with a volleyball, Brother Mike, and they invited this little four-year-old boy to come play with them. Tell you what, that did something to my heart right there. Watch a kind young person. There's the example of kindness. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, based upon God's kindness to us, should we not be kind one to another? Galatians 5.14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consume one another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Listen, I, I've, I've been an independent fundamental Baptist for almost 25 years, and I've seen a lot of biting and devouring in churches like ours. I've seen it. And let me tell you something, it's not spiritual, it's flesh. It's flesh. And there just needs to be a good old dose of kindness, that, that we Christians would be kind one to another despite our differences, despite our disagreements, despite our preferences that are not fundamentals, despite our positions on issues, that we would be kind one to another. We're missing that ingredient. And like that story I told, it is the sugar in the cake that we're missing, kindness. Not only kindness, but again, back to Ephesians chapter 4. And be kind one to another, next word, tender-hearted. Not only kindness is missing, but tenderness. Tenderness. That word tender-hearted, uh, it's a large Greek word, euspanglos, and it's only used twice. It's used here, tender-hearted, and it's used in 1 Peter 3.8 as pitiful. It has the idea of being compassionate. If you don't know it, compassion is love in action. It's what it is. It's love in action. You see, if you love somebody, you are naturally tender and tender-hearted toward them. I remember, I, I mentioned this morning, I can go in my mind, and I know you parents could do the same thing. I could go to May 24th, 2008. I could go to October 23rd, 2009. I could go to December 23rd, 2013, when I fell in love with each of my children right after they were born. I mean just an immediate tenderness toward them. You know what God says? A supernatural outpouring within the church of God is a tenderness one to another. In our church, and I've been there 10 years in this fall, it's so hard to believe uh, that it's been that just gone by that quick. Through our years, we've had three different times, Brother Mike, where we had a couple or a family in our church with a great need. And they... They just had a difficult time. And we stopped and met with the deacons and said, guys, let's designate such and such a Sunday and have a special offering for this family. And in those times, I, I think of those families, and, and by the way, two of them are no longer with us. They're, they're not with us anymore. Uh, I told my deacons after the second time that happened, I said, the next time I say special offering, just slap me. Amen. <laughs> no, it was the right thing to do. Is the right thing to do because here's a, a, a man that's out of work and, and he's got a, a gaggle of children and he can't work. And what should the family of God be? Tender-hearted toward that tender-hearted. While fundamentalists have been shooting their own wounded for years, what we're supposed to be doing is being tender one to another. John 13 35 says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one toward another. Tender-heartedness, love for one another within the fundamental church is still the best advertisement for a lost world whether or not they will ever consider trusting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If a lost person enters the average fundamental Baptist church, he or she can find nipping and biting at one another over carpet color, over a singer who held a microphone, over going over budget on an expenditure, which Bible college the preacher went to, none of which of these are fundamentals in which scream to a lost person, there isn't much love here. I think I'll go elsewhere. One of my favorite writers is a man named Ivor Powell. Tell you, you can get anything you can by Ivor Powell, you'll be blessed by it. He said this, a church without love is a club. A Christian without love is a piece of cold machinery. An informed mind must be supported by a warm heart. The strength of the assembly is not assured by an influx of new members, but rather a deepening affection of those already there. You know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? That's a tenderness one for another. 
I, lo I love some of the ministries of our, in our church, and you folks probably have them too, but whenever somebody has a surgery at our church, there's a lady that takes care of the meals. She gets the word out to other ladies and said, you know, we'd like to get a meal on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. What a blessing that is. What a blessing. Have people that uh, on, on their own, if they know somebody's having a surgery, people from our church just take it upon themselves to go up and visit at the hospital. I came up, uh, uh, I was literally coming down from uh, up north on a, on a Monday and uh, spent there a day with my family and came down. We had a lady that was in the hospital just a couple months back that was dying. And I got up early Tuesday morning to go to the hospital, Brother Mike, and I walked in and there was one of our members sitting there with that dear lady. You know what that is? Tenderness. 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 Boy. Sometimes I think kindness is missing. Maybe not here. I don't think it's missing at our church. But a lot of our kind of churches, it's missing. Kindness, tenderness, and then lastly tonight. You know it. You can read it right there. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Kindness, tenderness, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Again, Take note, these are not suggestions. God's not saying, you know, if you, if you feel like it, be kind. Oh, you know, if you feel like it, be tender. If you feel like it, forgive. I never feel like any of those things. <laughs> Very rarely, especially when somebody cuts me off in traffic and all God's people said. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not, listen, they're not suggestions, they're commands. From God himself. The sister verse to this, if such is possible, is even more authoritative on forgiveness. Hold your place. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This, there is no out in this verse. None. Say, oh, this person did this to me and they did that to me and, and, and that's it and I'm not going to forgive them. Okay. Well, let's see what this verse has to say about it. Colossians 3.13. It tells us forbearing one another. You know what that means? It means to put up with each other. It means I don't always like you, and you may not always like me, but we're brothers, we're family, we're brothers and sisters. We're to put up with each other. Somebody says it's easier to love somebody than to like somebody. <laughs> I think that's probably true, amen? Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, and here it is. If any man have a quarrel against any, so any and any, right? That's a lot of people. All. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I see two closed doors there for unforgiveness. Can't do it. Can't live a life of unforgiveness if you want God's forgiveness. Now, the truth is he's already forgiven us of all of our sins, but if you want to stay in fellowship with him, you can't harbor unforgiveness in your heart. Aren't you glad he doesn't harbor it? Woo! Well, we'd all be in trouble. How important is forgiveness in a fundamental church? I had the privilege to go to Midwestern Baptist College. Our pastor was Dr. Tom Malone, one of the great preachers of his era. Uh, you can get listen to a lot of Dr. Malone's sermons online. But Dr. Malone used to say this, it's better to have cancer in your body than unforgiveness in your heart. My personal belief that this is the most missing ingredient in fundamentalism. You say, why, Pastor? Well, Christians enjoy getting their pound of flesh. They've got it coming. So do you. Huh? So do you. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, Proverbs 24, 17. Christians secretly rejoice in pride when someone else's sin is exposed. And what they ought to be doing is Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thy also be tempted. I tell our church all the time, you listen to too much talk radio, you're going to enjoy being right far too often. Ah, oh, yeah. It's not the fourth member of the Trinity, folks, and all God's people said. 
we've forgotten what we've been forgiven of. When we remember it, we're a whole lot more forgiving to our brothers and sisters. I'm not saying we excuse sin, ladies and gentlemen. There are times, especially within a church, that sin has to come out. You folks, I know, and I know your preacher. I hate it the times I've ever had to exercise church discipline. I hate it. Hate it. But it has to be done. But it has to be done in love and kindness with a spirit of forgiveness if there's repentance. There's a biblical principle found in Matthew chapter 18. Go there with me if you would. Matthew chapter 18. Nothing new tonight, amen. I think just some simple truths. But that's what we need to be just reminded of the simple truths. I had a dear friend of mine who pastored up in the Onaway area. And he had in an evangelist, and the evangelist preached messages a lot like this one, and, and they were simple messages. And, and a man kind of came up to him kind of snidely and said, you know, you, you preach real simple messages. And he said, I do, sir. And he said, well, why do you do? He said, because in most cases our intelligence exceeds our obedience. So we need to get back to simple messages. Simple obedience. Well, here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I, my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Now, I could say this. I've lived 47 years. Brother Merrill, I've never had anybody wrong me seven times in one day the same thing. Not one time. Maybe once or twice, but seven times. I think Peter's kind of shining up his halo as he says, Well, seven times, Lord, would that be good enough, you know? And what does the Lord say? No, not seven. Seventy times seven. Now let me just say something, ladies. That doesn't mean you're supposed to be notching your stick as your husband offends you for the 479th time. And you just, you're waiting 480, 480, and then whack when you get to 490. Amen? That's not what it's saying. He's giving us a wonderful principle of forgiveness. He's saying, look, if you'll forgive seven times and eight times, you'll never count to 490. By the way, aren't you glad the Bible says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? When you in true repentance go to God, let's, let's just use uh, uh, the classic, uh, say there, there's somebody in the, our, the church here tonight that struggles with smoking. You know it's a sin, you're defiling the temple, you're trying to break free of it, but you struggle, and you go to God and you say, God, please forgive me. This is the, 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 the 300th time I've asked you for forgiveness. You know what God says? No, it's the first time. You say, Why? Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, clean the slate, not 300 times, one time, from all unrighteousness. And you come to him and say, God, it's the 301st time. Now, in your mind, you're like David, your sin is ever before you. In the mind of God, it's the first time because he was faithful to forgive it the last time. By the way, that will improve your confession before God. Don't hang on to those things. Confess them. Forsake them. Well, he gives us the principle here of 490 times. But really what he's saying here is, Paul quoted it in Romans 5.20, The law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Aren't you glad that God blots out our sins, forgives them, puts them into the sea of forgetfulness. Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Thank God. I'd like to go to heaven and look at God and know he remembers all your sins. Wouldn't be much heaven, would it, Brother Mike? We'd be cowering like this, looking for a place to hide. I will not remember thy sins. It's amazing when you read about our God. He has a divine memory toward every good deed and a divine forgetter toward all the sins we confess. 
When I was in college, it was my senior year. We had a young man who had sinned, and he was came before Dr. Malone, and at first he denied it. He said, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And then finally he came back and brokenhearted, and he came back to Dr. Malone. He said, I did it, I did it. I'll never forget Dr. Malone. He said, son, it's forgiven. We're not going to bring it up anymore. And he said this in the, in the old preacher voice. He said, it's behind the back of God. You know what he's done with our sins? He's placed them behind his back. You say, why is that important? It's important because we're pretty unforgiving about other people's sins toward us. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Well, he goes on in this uh, story. I know you know this story, but he talks about a servant, not a lord, not a landowner, a servant who owed a debt of 10,000 talents. Now, first of all, one has to be amazed that a servant could ever accumulate such a debt. He could, listen... He came and, and, and he fell down before his Lord and said, Lord, uh, he, he owes this debt and he commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children until the debt was paid. And he got down on his knees there here in Matthew chapter 18 and he said, he said, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. I'm going to tell you something. He was just begging right there. He never could have paid it off. But the Lord was moved with compassion and forgave him now that would have been the time i think most of us would have been singing the song from oklahoma everything's going my way right what does he do he runs out and finds a guy that owes him a hundred pence about a month's salary He'd just been forgiven, some commentators say, of probably about a billion dollars. Talking gold talents here. 10,000 of them. And he grabs that guy by the throat and says, pay me what you owe. And the guy says the exact same thing that he just said. Have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. The only difference, Brother Walsh, is he could have paid it. Just give him a month. What did he say? He would not, and he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Well, word gets back to this Lord that forgave the debt of 10,000 talents. And he calls this uh, wicked servant back before him. And if you look there, uh, look at verse number 31. So then when one of his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called them, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Or you asked. Shouldest, and here we go, ladies and gentlemen, this is right in our grill. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? You see, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what the 10,000 talents represents. It represents our sin debt. It represents a debt that you and I could never pay. If we worked 10,000 lifetimes, we could never get that paid off. And we came to God and said, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And he wiped it clean. And who do we think we are to harbor unforgiveness to a member of this church or a member of the body of Christ when Jesus so freely forgave us? I'll tell you what, if that's you, you're in the next couple verses here. It says, and his Lord was wroth. Say, God's angry with my unforgiveness? He certainly is. And delivered him to the tormentors. Does that mean this person lost their salvation? Nope. Most tormented person I've ever met is an unforgiving person. They're tormented. Bitterness, unforgiveness. Till he should pay that was due on him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if ye from your hearts forgive not 
everyone his brother their trespasses. I'll close with this. How should we forgive? We should forgive frankly. That is honestly. We should forgive fully. Forgive it all. We should forgive freely. That is, you don't get to bring it up over and over and over and over again and keep reaching for that club every time you have an argument with somebody. We should forgive forgetfully. I know we can't forget it, but we don't have to bring it up again. Years ago, I preached a message on unforgiveness at a Christmas banquet of all things. I was a student in Bible college, and I uh, preached for one of our professors. He's in heaven uh, today, and uh, just it was just a you know a candlelight dinner type thing, and I preached, uh, talked about Ephesians four, and she came up to me afterwards. This dear lady came up to me, and she was just she said, "Could I speak to you for a second? And I said, "Yes, ma'am." Came over to the side, and she said, "I wanted to let you know." that I've forgiven my dad tonight. And I was almost afraid to ask, but I did. I said, well, tell me about it. And she said, my dad murdered my mother in front of me when I was a little girl. And I'll tell you what, I, I did what you just did. I went, she said, I can't live with this unforgiveness anymore. You know, that person that you won't forgive, they just go on with their life. You're the tormented one. Give it up. Give it to God. It's not, listen, that is too heavy to carry. We need, listen, I hope these missing ingredients aren't missing in your life. They're missing in a lot of churches. They're missing a lot of churches where, forgive me, the clothing's right, the Bible's right, the standards are right, but they're missing kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness, and that's a lot. You know why? Because I'll tell you what, those are Christ-like characteristics. And isn't, who's the one we really want to be like? Jesus Christ. Kindness, tenderness, Forgiveness, missing ingredients and fundamentals. Let's bow our heads tonight. Brother Merrill, come to the piano if you would. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.